Welcome to the Biz Sherpa Podcast with your host, Craig Willett. From humble beginnings as a CPA, Craig grew his practice to over 700 small business clients, and from there, founded several multi-million dollar businesses. Trusted advisor and mentor to business owners achieving multi-million dollar status, he's giving back to help business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs achieve fulfillment, enhance their lives, and create enduring wealth. Welcome to the Sherps Cave. I've been excited to invite you into my office. This has been the place where I go to rest and recover on my climb to the top. I think to get to the top, it takes time to contemplate and think about your journey. As a Sherpa, I like to help and assist you along the way. I've climbed many a mountain in my life, and I'm sure you have too. I'd like to welcome you to the Biz Sherpa podcast. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. As we explore the Sherps Cave today, we're gonna to take time to step back and talk to the king of the reset button. If you remember our first episode called the reset button, I talked about the principle of looking at where you spend your time. The key is to look to find and have an objective to spend 80% of your time doing what you like in your business. This means that you're doing things that recharge your battery but also bring great satisfaction from your employees and your customers. Otherwise, the business is running you and you'll burn out quickly. So today, we're gonna to talk to Warren, who owns the Swear Car Company in Tempe, Arizona. He is the king of the reset button. You'll see from his colorful life how many times he's reset and been able to derive more from his life and from his business. For you, what I hope you take from today is that the questions I'm able to ask and the answers he gives will give you motivation, make you feel that the challenges you face, that you're not alone, and also that you have an opportunity to refresh and think about how you can spend your time being effective and productive in your business. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. I'm happy to welcome today into the Sherpa's Cave Warren Lesweer. Warren is not only a special guest for me to have on the show, but also a great friend. I, I'll never forget the day after he listened to our first session of podcast, our first episode from our podcast, hitting the reset button. He called me and he said, Craig, I'm the king of the reset button. He didn't know what he was going to listen to. And he told me he stayed up throughout the night trying to think of all the ways he hit the reset button in his life. So I welcome today, Warren Lesweer. Warren Hello. owns Lesweer Car Company in Tempe, Arizona. He started in 1975. In the first year, I think he did around 50,000 in sales. Is that right? It's about right. And now today he sells over $38 million of cars from his used car lot in Tempe, Arizona. It's a family owned and operated business. We'll talk a little bit today about how to manage a family owned and operated business with Warren. I think you'll find him colorful, insightful, and motivating. I'm grateful that he'd be my first guest for our first video uh, episode. So Warren, I want to have you start by telling us some of your life. And I know you shared with me one time that when you were 13 years old, you grew your hair so long, they kicked you out of school. What happened? Well, I can say that it really wasn't that long, but there were some pretty strict standards in 1964, 65 area. And uh, 
so they the uh, the dean at uh, Scottsdale High School called eighteen of us in and told us we had to either cut our hair or we were out of school. So I have to selfishly admit that I found that as an opportunity to not have to go to high school. But don't I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression, especially the youth, because that that isn't really the best uh, the best way to go. Because it's important that you do your studies and that you learn. So education is important to being a business owner. It not, is. not all dropouts do well. They don't. In, in fact, fact, you're not a dropout, really. Tell me a little bit about how you went eventually made it back into college and and how that impacted your starting your business. Well, it's kind of a long story, but um, I'll say that um, when I left the uh, uh, high school at 13, I, a little soon after that, uh, ended up moving out of the house. I also quit church, and uh, I, I ended up moving back home because I had some bad experiences while I was out, out on my own for the first time. And, uh, and plus, rent was only 50 bucks a month, but, <laughs> but uh, bad influences that you can have sometimes when you're moving out with your friends. So at 16, life-saving, I came back. And then at 17, I decided to move to Hawaii. And that so sounds like fun. It was Vacation? A, no, this was, this was the start of life. And, you know, uh, I, had, I had this lady that uh, uh, said that we could live with her. Uh, and her son had moved from Scottsdale, and so they were already living there. And so she took one look at us and said, no, you're not living here, because both of us had long hair. <laughs> and it was down, down to our shoulders by then. And uh, so so then we took I took my 200 bucks, bought a $90 plane ticket, had 110 left, paid for a couple of weeks of uh, uh, an apartment, and uh, it turned out that um, that I, I was trying to get a job, and so was everybody else in Hawaii. And so it was hard to get a job at first, but uh, I finally did land a job. And what what'd you do? I dug out palm trees uh, by hand, and I was a gardener. And I worked for the Samoan guy who was he was a real big guy, and he put you to work, and you had no excuses. You worked. <laughs> and uh, so, is that the hardest you've ever worked in your life? Uh, no, but but he had a strong work ethic, and and it was good to have. So then it des- they decided to hold my payback for two weeks, and so then the problem with that was that I had to eat. Why and, did they uh, hold your payback for two weeks? Um, just so that I'd have money when I quit. But <laughs> but the 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 other thing, I moved into a. Uh, I had to move out of that place. I moved into a uh, almost like a closet with my roommate um, and went outside. It was the 4th of July. It almost sounded like I was in Vietnam. There were so much explosions and <laughs> celebration in, in Hawaii. And this guy came up and took a knife to my throat and said, if you're going to live here, you're going to pay produ- production, you know, protection money. And he was, he was on, you know, really drunk on whiskey. That was the last night I stayed in that place. And uh, I moved to the jungle, and uh, it doesn't sound like a step up to me. What happened? Why well, did you pick the jungle? Because it was a lot safer than this guy. <laughs> he was a you know, looked like he was fresh out of prison, and 
And uh, so... Sounds like the rent was right, too. The rent was free, but there were helicopters overhead, and the uh, police were always looking for somebody that was living up there. It would rain. I I was able to put together newspaper for the first couple of nights, and then I raised enough money to get a space blanket to cover myself to keep myself out of the rain. So you were 17, living yeah. in the jungle in Hawaii, basically yeah. homeless. Homeless. Did you still have a job? I did get a job, and uh, but I didn't have any money for food. Another possible thing I, I should have prepared more for. And uh, so I would have to panhandle for beans, which were 15 cents, and rice, which was 15 cents. And and a big score was a dollar for a sweet roll at the marketplace in, in Honolulu. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, how did you make it then out of the jungle and into college? Because I know you have a college education. So what? Well, I will mention this, uh, by the way, that I did take showers uh, at the pavilions, (laughs) and I was able to bathe in the King Kamehameha Highway, and I surfed every day. I'm sure your mom was happy to hear that you did take baths and showers. Yeah, it was it was nice. So I so I didn't risk much. I did buy a Hillman Minx, my first car that I'd ever owned. Personally, it was a Hillman, Hillman Minx convertible. I don't even know what that is. It's an English car and a convertible. And it, anyway, at the end of my stay there, I sold that car, had enough to move back, and had some money because I made a little money on it too. And uh, and so, so I moved the, back to Scottsdale. So here's the budding of a car career. Yeah, that's the first car in the it's beginning. Your first profit that you've made. Yeah, and right? so after that. When I moved back to Scottsdale, here I've got this this really good tan, and I've got hair now down to the middle of my back. Oh, that my Scottsdale High School dean of students could see me now. <laughs> and uh, and then I end up getting a job putting on rock and roll concerts with Janis Joplin, Jose Feliciano, and Grand Funk Railroad. And I had a mentor by the name of Andrew Cavalieri, who had just gotten a degree in psychology, and. Uh, Grand Funk Railroad was just starting to be formed together as a band. And I talked to Andy at great length, and he was a great mentor. And he um, he suggested that, that maybe I look at a couple of scenarios. If I wanted to go to Tokyo and start going on a world tour, I could do that with Grand Funk Railroad. What would you do with Grand Funk? Just what was it? helped with equipment and okay. just... Just stage been hand, a roadie, kind of roadie. a roadie. Okay. And, uh, or the other thing was go to college and make something by myself. He said that he thought that I was better than what I was. And so, so he, uh, he encouraged that, that maybe I consider college. Um, I ended up, uh, going back and taking a GED test for high school equivalency, and then took an SAT test, and then going to to um, Mesa Community College, where I studied uh, creative writing, philosophy, and business. And uh, I remember I had this one teacher, Coach Nix, and he was failing me because I didn't go run the mile all the time. And so I said, hey, Coach, how am I going to get an A in this? It was sort of like Bill Murray and Stripes. And uh, he said, "You swear you come in first or second, and I'll give you an A. So I, I, I walked up to the quarterback of the Mesa Community College football team and said, you and I are best friends around this track. 
I ran the mile, hadn't ran. That's why he was failing me. I didn't go run. Ran that 526. Here I smoked and uh, was not in condition. But I was so dedicated to not, to staying in college that I, I ended up running uh, that 526 and coming in second. What a lesson to not yeah. want to fail, to, to be able to yeah. put out like that, not even train, just to be able to, out of, yeah. out of this inner desire to, to be successful, you yeah. were able to run that. Soon after that, I had this opportunity. Uh, it was the Kent State Massacre. And uh, so they had killed about five students and I ended up taking the uh, flag down at the flagpole with a thousand students around. And I thought for sure I was going to be kicked out. I was ushered into the Dean of Students of MCC. And uh, he wasn't for the war in Vietnam. And he said that he brought me in for my own safekeeping. I didn't think that maybe somebody would object to me doing that. But, uh, but it was not a very popular war at that time. And I had a high lottery number, so I didn't have to go. But uh, that was another thing that I was worried at that point I might have ended my college career. But uh, So eventually you did graduate. Is there something that you took in college that helped mm -hmm. shape your career and that helped you choose the automotive business, uh, well, automotive dealership business for it, your career? In business policies, they had two classes that you could take. That I mean, two courses that... or two business studies that, that I did. One was on Raleigh bikes and the other one was on Volkswagen. And uh, I was trying to decide if I wanted to sell bikes or Volkswagens, but the Volkswagens won. And so how did you start your business? Now that you get your college degree, tell me how you went into business. What, how much money did it take and, and well, well, get started as a, as a car dealer? I asked my wife to marry me. Um, I worked as a carpenter for the guy that used to own Thomas Mall. I wasn't a carpenter, but I learned how to be one quick. And I earned $1,000. My wife was working in a dress shop and uh, she was fired because the, the manager wanted to hire her sister that was coming out from Ohio. So here my wife and I each had $1,000. I got hired on at the Phoenix Union High School to be a buyer for uh, their... Uh, their school district. And then they froze employment in 75. And my wife and I still decided, we loved each other, decided we still would uh, get married, even though we both were jobless. And we end up uh, moving in. I w wound up curbing cars. And then later I got busted. So then tell I, us what curbing cars is. Well, that's where you, you sell cars out of your townhouse without a license. So <laughs> I got busted by motor vehicle department and, uh, and I was turned in by a jealous friend of mine oh, that no. was in the car business. And so, uh, I ended up looking for this place and I found, a, uh, the place where I'm currently located. I rented this place. It had a house on it and uh, some little mountains with cactuses. And, and how big was that lot? It was five acres. But I, they only gave me like a, uh, an acre of it. And uh, so we started there. How many cars did you start out with on your lot? Well, we had about six or seven cars, uh, eight cars we built up. And uh, I would get up at four in the morning and 
I saw my father do this as a high school moonlighting teacher. So I would get up between four and six and go buy the cars and then get back to my car lot. And uh, I'd already start having customers. I'd have to sometimes come out in a row <laughs> to sell a car because we didn't have a lot of employees. And uh, so we ended up uh, detailing the cars, cleaning them up. And they, they were two to five, six, seven hundred dollar cars. And we would sell them. Sometimes people would come out and say, wow, there was a car that sounded a lot like this. That morning, I wish we could have gotten it. And I said, yeah, I wish you could have too. <laughs> and I sold him that car. <laughs> That's interesting. So what? tell me a little bit about what you were not expecting other than the Department of Motor Vehicles shutting you down for curbing cars. What, what challenges did you face that you weren't expecting as a business owner when you started up? And then maybe tell also a little bit about hiring your first employee. Well, I was told that mechanics were a frill. You didn't really need to do that. But... I didn't believe that. I believe that if I had, I was only as good as my weakest link in that car. And so I hired a mechanic to work for me to, to do it on the side. And I hired a guy to detail cars. And uh, I had some really good employees. I, I've always hired really good people. And uh, so here we were off and reconditioning cars. And uh, Bernie Waller, who worked with me for 26 years, I ended up hiring him and he could he could redo reseal an engine better than anybody. In in my time in the early days, I bought and sold fifty five hundred Volkswagens, Gias, Squarebacks, and buses. And uh, we were just wow. making these nice. We were doing Indian blanket seats from AMC Pacers later. We were doing uh, we were painting them, putting in fender beating. So you were doing more than just going out and finding a car in the morning yeah. and selling it later on in the day. You were able to really yeah. dress up some cars and really make them more marketable. We had pride in our work. And uh, we also knew how important it was because we were selling a lot of these cars to friends and people that we knew. And and we didn't we didn't want to have enemies. So, <laughs> so we were trying to have a good product. Well, you know, all business owners tend to ask this same question, and, and I heard hear this often from our listeners and from other people I associate with, and that is, my business seems to monopolize my life. Can you share with us how many days a week you were working when you started your business and what impact that had on your life? Well, I didn't have a rich father, but he gave me a, a wealth of friends, and I ended up having that $2,000. I had to work seven days a week. And I might get up at four or five in the morning and then finish about eight o'clock by conking out, falling asleep. But seven days a week for seven years, all of a sudden my wife decides that she wants to go to church and ruin everything. <laughs> and I've got two or three kids and uh, they're screaming. And my wife is she she used her blackmail. She cried, and she said she wasn't getting anything out of church, and so she guilted me into going. And fortunately, church was nine to twelve, and the lot started at twelve, and so I I tried to do something good, and I went to church. Did that make a difference in your life? Well, then. I, I found out about this keeping the Sabbath day holy, and uh, I worked six days a week instead. And what ended up happening 
is I ended up doing better because I had some rest. And I found out that resting was really good. The Lord built the earth in six days and and then had the day of rest. So he had done this before, and who was I to argue? And I learned yeah. from him. I'm a firm believer in taking the time to sit back and reflect and also recharge your battery so that you can focus on being more effective. We can wear ourselves down. Are there other changes you made in your personal life throughout your career that have helped you have more energy and helped you uh, be more successful in business? Well, I had a, uh, I had a period after, right after I had uh, gone to church that I realized that I was hanging out with some of the wrong friends and I had some wrong influences going in my life. And so this was a reset time and I had to, I had to uh, change my life and change my friends and work uh, towards important things. So one way that I did for change is I read the Book of Mormon over two weeks, completed it in that amount of time, and uh, it was really eye-opening, and, and it changed my life completely so that uh, I could actually— change from that. And then after that, I really developed a love for books. In college, I'd always read all my college textbooks from, really? from beginning to end because I was bored stiff listening to the teachers. That's interesting. My dad used to tell me one of the things he would do is read the encyclopedia or read the mm -hmm. dictionary to get a better vocabulary. And I always thought that was difficult. I tried mm -hmm. it. So you're probably one of the first persons yeah. I've met that read his college well, textbooks. I got a good education. And uh, a lot of teachers, even back then, Margaret Mead says to not teach students what to think, but how to think. And so I didn't get indoctrinated too much because I was always doing my own thinking and my own reading. But I, I read a lot of books after that, and I developed an insatiable desire to, to read and also kept up with, with starting the Old Testament and realizing I was in this for a long term. And uh, I just completed the Old and New Testament again last week. Great. So what have you learned? What has reading done to enhance your success as a business owner? Well, it's an old saying that a person that doesn't read lives the life of one. A person that reads lives the life of, the, of a thousand. And uh, I really see the importance of picking up somebody's book. They might have spent 30 years in their life learning how to do something and you, you can read about it in eight hours, and it's such a way to resonate with your own soul to learn about others and their experiences. I think that's great. I, I really like that. I find that that's really important and have found that in my own career to take that time to ponder and reflect, and it, it gives you the ability to brush off some of the stresses of business and focus on what's important. There's a lot of different functions at a used car dealership that have to go on, what do you choose to do and where do you spend your time that makes it the most rewarding to you and most valuable to your employees and to your customers? Well, I'm, I'm blessed with some really great employees and some really great fa family. And uh, over 45 years, they've all learned how to do what they do. They overlap with one another in their specialties and their abilities. And uh, we've we've got really good men that run the lot. Uh, and a lot of my salesmen, 
are sons, but some of them aren't. And some uh, are nephews. Some are nephews, and some are not related. And uh, they all know what what to do and how to do it. And we've taught them every phase of the business so that they they have the ability to to make their own decisions. It's very important to empower people because if you micromanage, you don't get anything out of them. But if you empower them, they can they can reach for the stars. You know, with all of your experience in business, you've managed to do one of the great things in business, and that is to successfully own and successfully operate a family-run and family-owned business. Can you share with us any insights in what's made it successful as a family-owned and family-operated business? Well, I believe that everybody has their dreams, and you have to help them with those dreams and and achievement. uh, a good thing about my family is is they've all uh, ended up getting college degrees. That's something that that I always encourage them to do. And uh, the one one lesson that's working on it right now is becoming a pilot and going to college. Wow. So everybody's achieved an education, and then we also listen to podcasts and read, and we're into continuous improvement. So I think that's great. So how do you get along? I mean, what do they have other outside interests or does, are they always working at the family business? Well, they uh, sometimes it can be tough because they they become competitive with each other because they're salesmen too. <laughs> that's tricky. So so and you know, comparison anything like that, you can't really do that or else it, it's a it's a bad situation. So um what they do though, uh Chris is an iron man. And he also started a CrossFit gym with his wife, Tirsa. And uh, they really like to help people. I, and so as, as I've seen him do this, he's always helping somebody get into a better physique, lose weight, uh, and get healthy. And then uh, I think that's a key to success in business anyway, uh, being willing to help people. So I'm sure his gym's yeah. successful, but probably it makes him yeah. successful at the car lot. It transfers very easily because Chris also tries to help at the car lot. He's he really he really um, each of my sons and my nephews and my brother and all the the family of employees that we have uh, take ownership and try to try to be a service and help and and uh, so they do uh, they do work hard at it. And I Jimmy uh, he he actually runs the. Uh, or hikes the sand town and hikes mountains all the time to stay in shape at night. And then uh, Stephen was... Uh, was he a cross-country runner uh, no, or a St- marathon? Stephen was a cross-country runner, though, the oh, next okay. one. Stephen had a, a girlfriend. He wasn't a runner, but uh, uh, this girlfriend uh, set a good example of running, and he became a track star. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, what chasing girls, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, he got a scholarship for running, and uh, now he runs and he he rides a bike throughout the sand towns, and so he does that every day. In fact, if we don't exercise, we just feel lost. And then uh, Kelsey, uh, my only daughter, she uh, is qualified for the Boston Marathon twice. Unfortunately, they're not having the Boston Marathon this year, oh. but. Uh, but she's a runner, and 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 then so JT lifts weights and uh, runs. And my 
I had a college roommate who was a marathon runner, and you know mm -hmm. what? I thought, okay, I'm a swimmer, so I'm going to go out and work out with him. He'd take off on Saturday mornings, and he'd run 20 or 30 miles, and I thought, okay, yeah. I'll see what I can do. I made it one block, and I turned yeah. around and headed back to the dorm. Yeah. But uh, that's my marathon experience. But my friend Steve, he yeah. was really good at it. So I admire people who do that. Yeah, and then he Carolyn. Carolyn, my wife Carolyn, she uh, uh, she runs marathons. And uh, she also now uh, has made it just a half marathon. I think she could still do a full marathons, But she ran the Phoenix Marathon and got this big badge and plaque for running six or seven of those. Wow. And... She's been running a long time, and uh, Tirsa runs the marathons too, and so it, it's it's a really good important outlet. Uh, especially, you know, life is very stressful. So if you can work out that stress w through running and exercise, it's really one of the secrets to running a business and being able to cope with all of the things that come at you in life. So how do they achieve in sales? I mean, your lot just sends cars flying off of it. You have a, quite an inventory, yeah. but you're able to sell. What, what what helps them interact? I mean, it's competitive, but how do they keep going and how do they keep the customers happy? Well, we get a lot of repeat business and uh, uh, these guys are continually working with those customers both before and after. And so, you know, we, we want to have customers for life. So uh, we've had, we have a lot of people, some families that have nine cars in them. But they they do take ownership and uh, they try to really. We've got five. Really work good. Oh, five. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, we're not nine. <laughs> well, that's great, and you know it's it's really important to to take care of people like you would want them to take care of you and your businesses. Well, you know you're to be commended. I mean, what a great thing to be able to give them the freedom and the flexibility. Uh, to do what they need to do, and you give them time outside of work. So many businesses expect so much that they don't have the time to stay sharp in other ways. Warren, uh, one thing seems unique about you being a two-time cancer survivor. You seem to have compassion. You seem to have the ability to step back and let people determine their destiny, which I think each of your children and, and some of your nephews and I think don't you even have some grandchildren starting to work down at the Yeah, we have a, we have some that are starting to work on their days, you know, when they're not in school or on uh, Saturdays. Yeah, it's a it's a good thing to teach kids to work because the younger you start teaching them how to work, the easier it'll be for them when they do have to work like all of us. So, now being a two-time stage 4 cancer survivor, I'm sure there's mm -hmm. some health advice you'd offer to those who are listening and, and those who are watching today, some ideas that may help them mm -hmm. with their health. Well, uh, one thing that's helped me, and I, of course I didn't really recognize it that much until I did have the stage four cancer twice. And that's the Lord's law of health, the word of wisdom. It was uh, done in, 19, in 1833 and it, it seems to be a formula for people that, that uh, get cancer or diabetes or heart, heart problems or inflammation or arthritis. Uh, so it's sort of the go-to diet. And if, if you ever are sick or need to, uh, need to dial things back in, it's a really good way to, it's something really good to read and to learn about. And uh, I know that it's helped me in my, in my uh, situation and uh, I hope to keep
keep this cancer in remission now. Aren't there some challenges to having a lot of family at the same place of business? I, I find that a lot of businesses don't survive because of family relationships make it difficult to interact. You know, we're no different than any other family. We have those highs and lows and those points where we get along and those points where we don't like each other. But all in all, I think we realize that we do love each other. And uh, I'm going away for a retreat for a few days at the end of the year with, uh, with all of them to re you know to to uh let them know that but um for the most part though not to hawaii to the jungle no no (laughs) no to another cool place though that's pretty secluded and uh anyway my kids my kids uh uh have to get along but they realize that that and my nephew and my brother and but they also realize that each person is indispensable because they have talents that they bring to the table. So what do you do? I mean, there's a lot of different functions. And so I I can say this, and I hope this isn't embarrassing, but I can say that I've been a customer at your car a lot on a number of occasions. And anytime I've been there, you've not been there. So you're doing something else that's more behind the scenes, perhaps, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Where do you like to spend your time and why do you do do that? Well, I buy cars and I find that that's a full-time job. And so I have to do research, and my wife helps me research, and I have a daughter that does. <clears throat> so we have a lot of stuff to do to prepare before we go out there. A lot of guys will go out and drink a cup of coffee and start waving their arms and buying cars. But you really have to prepare, and, and uh, it's not something that, that, that you can do any other way than prepare, at least the way I do it. So it turns into a full-time job. It's, you so know, you do your homework on what's coming for sale, what it might yeah. be worth, what might be wrong with it. I might have 30 seconds to make a decision. So I might want to take five or 10 minutes before I make, take that 30 seconds and make a good one. Yeah, There's nothing, nothing like buying a car that's uh, been wrecked or uh, that has a lot of inherent problems that says it in their description. And so today I bought eight cars uh, but I've spent, you know, 20 hours doing that. So I have a friend who told me one time that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. In other words, if you've done your homework right and you buy at the right price, you will always make money when well, you go to sell. It's an old saying, merchandise well bought is half sold. But everybody in that function is important. I couldn't do it without my salesmen, without my mechanics, without detailers, without a lot of attendants and uh, without sales assistance. So we're all very important to this. And so is the customer. But you have a a knack for it too, right? I think one time you told me that everybody else was telling you don't buy cars because the pandemic started, but you went and did something that most people weren't willing to do. Well, I ended up uh, getting a lecture for having 565 cars, but I said, you know, you never can tell when it's going to be really difficult to buy a car. So when the pandemic hit, cars were cheap for about the first few weeks when everybody, when the sky was falling. But after that, they really firmed up and it was hard to buy. And there was a great, far greater supply, demand for cars than there was a supply. So now we've been having record-breaking months at sales. And uh, it was a good thing that, that I had extra cushion there. It's always very important to to build up uh, 
an inventory or to have reserves in your life, whatever you do, to fall back on if you need to. So one thing that I mentioned in last week's episode, as I inter- as I was introducing people to who you are, that you're a two-time stage four cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. What have you learned and how has that changed your perspective on life and on business? Well, one way that it all started, um, I was on the road a lot to buy cars and uh, I ate um, meat three times a day. Uh, I went to uh, manufactured dinners where they fed me the finest of steak and lobster, anything I wanted I could have. Who sounds and, good. <laughs> and then when I was done, they gave I had a credit card and I could go charge anything that tasted good. So I didn't go for the healthy stuff. I went for the stuff that really tasted good. So before before I knew it, I weighed 300 pounds and I was getting hives. I was getting kidney stones, uh, tired, did not feel good. And uh, so I ended up, uh, I ended up, uh, having an experience where I, I kind of fell down and couldn't get up. I was so heavy. And, uh, so just, so I ended up, I ended up, uh, realizing that that, that wasn't the road I needed to be on. So I, I put together these drinks. I used to think that if you went to Chipotle and had four large minute made glasses of lemonade, that you were really pulling over on them, that you could have that. <laughs> but it turned out, what was it all you can drink? All you could drink. Yeah. So, so I was addicted to drinking those cold drinks because I'd be out in the hot sun, and I ended up making lemonade out of stevia and organic lemons, and I lost forty pounds doing that. Wow, that's a good jump start to it, dropping weight. It was, and then I was reading USA Today, where Bill Clinton had just had a, a quadruple bypass and a heart attack. And so I was reading about Dr. Dean Ornish, and he had suggested to Bill that he go on a plant-based whole food diet. And I, I talked to my wife, and I said, honey, this, this really sounds like a smart idea. You know, I don't want to die from all this. And, you know, I was putting a lot of strain on my heart and body. And so I, I adapted a whole food plant-based diet, and that, that was really helpful. Uh, to do that and uh, difficult to do on the road but I had a lot of ethnic foods that were really good can't beat Mexican food if you're trying to do this with whole food pinto beans and and uh, Asian food and there are a lot of good ways to substitute and and resets are all about substitutes too so you have to have have a substitute for what you're doing to to reset so so how has it, other than surviving cancer and being able to be in business today, how did it help you focus better on business where you've had to reset some personal habits in your life that allowed you to be more effective in business? How, how has it helped you be more effective? Well, I think I got to go back to the two, surviving four-stage cancer twice. Um, I ended up uh, having to find a doctor that could do the modality that I needed. And I found that that every doctor had his own modality. And so without being proactive, I was really at risk and danger. So I had to find the way that I had to go. And through some networking and reading and podcasts, I was able to do that. And uh, I, I, I did uh, pencil proton therapy at uh, 
scripts in California, and that really was a game changer and a lifesaver. So and, your habit of researching cars and getting into the details and, and trying to understand really helped. You were able to take principles you used in business and apply to actually help save your life. Exactly. These are these are gold mines that you have to go down to figure out. And as you reach these these crossroads and you have to reset your life, you better have at your disposal uh, all these books or podcasts. And without that, you know, it's really hard. And you can even listen to the wrong author of a podcast and go the wrong direction, but you have to to use your discernment too on on what you're hearing. And so anyway, I I ended up going to this doctor and he said that I really had to to do a plant-based diet, which I was already doing. And so then I got the cancer back. And then my next doctor said that I had to tighten up. So no cheese, no butter. Uh-oh, cutting uh, out the real stuff. No red meat at all ever, uh, but I could have fish. But but all of this stuff would contribute to my cancer and also weight would add to it. And so, you know, I got down to, I lost 105 pounds because I, I bowed to threats. Wow. That is, that's great. Uh, so what have you been able to do in your business? I, I, well, let me go back. I know you minister to prisoners in, in prisons, and I, I'd like to understand what your message is and w how you teach them in prison, principles that you've learned in your life, but also in business and how you apply that. Because to be able to preach or minister in prison, you have to have pretty good compassion. So are there any stories you have from your car business to where your customers really feel that you and your family have compassion for their customers? Because it seems to me you get customers that come back time and again for generations. Well, we try to always treat everybody like we'd want to be treated. And uh, when when we're dealing with, uh, like a, I'm mentoring a, a, a Sully right now, as he calls him. Um, and it's important to try to prepare him for when he gets out of out of prison, and uh, what one of my goals right now, and I've contacted all the lawmakers and gotten form letters, is I want to see prisons turned into schools. There is a tremendous amount of people out there that are going to waste. That I've this one guy has been in ten years. He hasn't been able to successfully take a GED test. So I want those things to happen, and I think helping customers or prisoners or anyone, you have to have a love of mankind. And uh, I I do want to help people, uh, either with cars or with with uh, mentoring or uh, helping anybody I can. Can you think of any customers, much like prisoners, and I'm sure you've had a few that have come to you and thanked you for helping them, especially when they get out, but have you had any customers that have come back to you that have uh, commended you, your dealership for how they've been treated? And what, what are those stories like? Well, I remember one day we had a, a guy, I hope he doesn't mind, but he came out kind of long hair on a motorcycle. Sounds familiar. And uh, uh, he, he went to one of the, one Volkswagen dealership and they wouldn't help him. And, uh, he came to ours and 
we we treated him just like we treat everybody. And uh, he ended up buying a $48,000 Volkswagen Touring. Yeah, he was Andrew Weil. I hope he doesn't. Ma- he might care that I said this. <laughs> oh, great! I hope he does. But but he uh, he now has the uh, he he heads the integrative oncology department at uh, U of A. I just read his book on integrative oncology. It's it's really a great book if you get a chance to read it. And then I had another guy right after that the same day that came out and he had a cotton candy hairstyle. And uh, it was it was a really long afro, and he went to the same first dealership, and they didn't even look. At, they said, "No, we're not helping him." Nobody went out to talk to him. He came out to our lot, and we treated him really well, but only because we treat everybody the same. And and uh, it turned out the next day, this guy was going to ASU, and he came back with a regular boy's haircut with his father, who was the head of banking of, uh, in Switzerland. Wow. And his father said, thank you for treating my son with dignity. And I think that it's really hard not to treat people, everybody the same, and you never know who you're going to be helping. That's only a bonus, but you should always be kind. In fact, this is my motto, always be kind, have a good attitude, and never give up. Wow, that's a great motto. So what kind of feelings do you get when the, like when the father came? I mean, how, how does that give you a, an emotional charge? Well, sad to say I wasn't there, but my, uh, my sons and sales team were there. And that made me proud of my sons. I'm proud that they had learned to teach each other well. That's got to that's got to be really satisfying to know that when the cat's away, the mice are playing the right game. <laughs> yeah, the cat's gone all the time, so I've I've got my duties to do. I tried to talk to one of my sons earlier today, and he said, "I'm just too busy. I can't talk to you." So that's okay, because I usually am too. So <laughs> so it just shows you the strong work ethic that yeah. that it is taking place at the business. That's great. So, what role does money play in your life? Well. Would you like to hear the part about financing with a million dollars? First, I'll tell you that I don't really care that much about money, but um, it doesn't. It's not a real central focus for me. But so, what is your focus? What motivates you to continue well, to operate I've got a dealership? Thir- I have thirty-two employees and family members and everybody, and I want them to all be able to eat, and uh, that's a motivating factor to to make sure that everybody's doing okay. Okay. Yeah. But I have a time where money did play a, a factor. Okay. I'd like to hear that. Okay. And that was, I was, this was during the panic of 2008. And uh, I was in the Bay buying cars. And I got a call from uh, Volkswagen of America, had loaned me one of two companies in the United States. They floored us a million, floored me a million dollars. And flooring is flooring a loan is financing, to a dealership. Yeah. Financing your cars. But you have to buy Volkswagens. I had to buy it. Volkswagens and Audis. And I had a lot of Volkswagens and Audis. And uh, so I ended up, uh, while I was talking to this person and being fired for my line of credit, I said, so by the way, how much was my line of credit? Because they never did tell me. And he said, oh, it was a million and a half. And so I, I thought, oh, that's great. I jumped on an airplane and oh, and he said, I'm gonna have to you're gonna have to pay it back, but we won't really press you to pay it back right away. We'll help you. And they were good about that. And uh, I got right back in the airplane 
flew to the sale and bought $500,000 worth of Volkswagens. And, <laughs> to uh, max out your line? To max out my line. They were cheap because everybody, the sky was falling, you know, and things were really awful. I'm sure they weren't happy with you for going out and They extending. called me right away. And they said, what are you doing? What are you? And I said, you know, during the Depression, my grandfather paid everybody back and he didn't leave anybody without getting money, get, being paid in full. And that was the kind of grandfather I had and the upbringing I had. So I said, let me assure you, I'm going to pay you back. And then pretty soon, maybe a week after, I gave him 300000 as a good faith thing. But I, I still, bet you they were happy. <laughs> it helped a little bit, except for the next thing I did was I, uh, gas went to five bucks a gallon. And I, I unfortunately, am a car man a little too much through and through. And I, there were 70, I bought 70 Tundras the next week. That's a gas guzzler. They isn't were it? gas guzzlers. And they were, and they had a problem. They had artificial ex acceleration. So they would take off on their own if you got in the car and they were dangerous. And so I, I called the Toyota dealers and they said that they couldn't fix them. They didn't have a part for it. But I knew that National Highway Institute of Safety required that. Toyota fix these cars. So I contacted one of the heads of Toyota and I said, look, I just bought 70 Toyota Tundras. If you come here to this place, you can show your good faith with the National Institute of Highway Safety and fix them all. They did it the next day. I belonged to this think tank and it said that gas would would come down within 30 days, within a month. And, and so don't freak out by all this. So then I ran ads saying, uh, uh, "We'll trade your, uh, we'll trade your gas sipper for, no, your your gas hog for one of our sippers." And so I got tons of trade-ins of all these gas hogs, and then I ended up about within thirty days to the, to the day, everything changed, and all of a sudden those worthless tundras sold off the the shelf like hotcakes. That's great, and, those, and I couldn't give away a Prius, but but I uh, I was able to sell those big people movers that people had in the in their uh, uh, that they were driving. So it worked out really good that transition. Once again, the reset. So when there are extremes, you're not afraid to reset and take a risk during the times of extremes. Well, it's good to be a contrarian, and uh, so you know when. When things go bad, then it's good to it's good to react the opposite way because there usually are fixers that are going to help in the in the situation, but it is a risk. Great. Well, I I think that's wonderful. I appreciate. But I was able to that. pay the loan back too, by the way, really quick, and uh, uh, stayed in Volkswagen's good graces. Good. Well, while we're talking about money, have you been able to diversify? from just yeah. the business, because it seems like the business has consumed a good part of your life and has represented an income stream, not only to you, but to your family. So how have you diversified so that you're not at risk if something were to happen to the business? Well, I ended up um, uh, becoming a wildcatter and fracking. <clears throat> and um, there were a group of us that were car dealers and some guys from Silicon Valley. And uh, we started drilling our own wells. And then after that, uh, we had quite a production of natural gas. And uh, 
we ended up selling it. We had a pipeline and uh, <clears throat> then gas went really low and we almost went bankrupt. And uh, so we ended up, we ended up, uh, it started coming back. We ended up selling everything to the Bass family and to Exxon and uh, did, did well off the not bad, gas. Not bad customers. Now, okay. I also had a friend <clears throat> that I called and I asked him what would be a good thing to, to put money into. And uh, he suggested that I do uh, a captive insurance and, and that was Craig Willett. And Craig has a much better story than I have about all of this. But, but having a separate income stream and a separate way to put your money, take it out of your business and put it in something else, it makes you more efficient within your business. Because honestly, I was getting to a point where I might, I might have to get a forkloader and stack the cars. So, <laughs> so it's good to take money out of your business and do something else and have a positive revenue stream. And I recommend that. But I'm also very grateful to Craig Willett because he got me to do something and step out of my comfort zone. I think that was about nine years ago. It so it's probably built to a good reserve. And, you, and I don't think it's appropriate to mention here, but I'm grateful for the friendship and I'm glad that something I might've said has paid off for you. It's a principle I believe in. It's, it was the subject of our third episode on the Biz Sherpa and I, I, it saved me. And I've shared some of my story about that, but I think the principles we talk about here are important for all business owners and even in our everyday lives. So one question I want to ask um, in closing, and this is one I want to ask every one of our guests, what was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I've had two failures. One of them was that I, I was talked into something that I didn't do. I invested in cypress wood in, in Chile and uh, it turned out that that was quite a con. And uh, I got nothing out of it. I ended up flying down there to check it out, and it was a it was a con. So that was a pretty good failure to have, but it made me wiser after that. And um, uh, but at the same time, I will tell you that maybe one of my biggest mistakes is that I didn't take enough risk. So risk is still calculated. Risk is still a really good thing to do. In what way, when you say you didn't take enough risk? Well. I just know too many stories of people buying worthless land in all over the valley for a thousand dollars an acre, and then it being worth four hundred thousand. So those are the kind of the seeds of risk that you can take, and uh, then there you know there've also been stocks that you could buy, especially when when the sky is falling, like we just had during the uh, COVID nineteen uh, opportunity in March that there are always those moments where you can take advantage of a situation if you if you read the situation. You certainly have a contrarian mentality and not everyone yeah. has the stomach for that, but I think it sounds to me like it's paid off well for you during those times that you've been able to go contrary to the popular opinion and make it do. So you truly are an independent thinker. Warren, we're grateful that you would take the time to join us. I'm honored that you'd be my first guest on our show. Your family means a lot to me and I'm grateful to have you here to be able to share things that have allowed you to reset many times in your life. Because I think often as business owners, it's easy to feel that life needs to be great every day and we need to always be improving. And that's true, but it doesn't always work out that way. Life is not a straight 
trajectory up. And it sounds like you've had many times where you've stepped and had every reason to feel, to be able to blame the system or whatever that, that you weren't able to make it, but you've fought through many difficult circumstances and have been able to come out on top. Yeah, and I think life is set up that way so that, uh, that you have to, you know, anybody that, that doesn't have some medical problem or some business problem or family problem is dead because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's going to have that. And uh, how you meet, uh, you know, how you meet that adversity is, is extremely important and to be prepared in advance for that. And I think that's one good point that I think you've made. You've been prepared for a lot of the challenges or been prepared to know how to research and fight through them because of principles that you've applied in your life and in your business. Warren, I'm honored that you'd be our first guest on our first video uh, episode of the Biz Sherpa. Well, I'm grateful too, because uh, um, when I first heard the Biz Sherpa, I recognized something in Craig that his goal of trying to help mankind, trying to do something really positive by helping others that that have these responsibilities, it's it's really a, a tremendous responsibility to have a business and to still function and have a have a regular life. And I I recognize the nobility of Craig in what he's doing, and also am. St- Still so grateful for the influence he's had in my life. Well, we might we might edit that part out, but we're grateful for you. We're visiting, Warren, uh, about your camp, being a cancer survivor, stage four twice. You've recently come off your chemo treatments and some other medications. Is that right? Yeah, I, I was on it for about six months. And uh, uh, this cancer could return again, too, in a few years. Uh, I'm prepared for that, but... Uh, uh, they do take a PSA test, and if it starts increasing, then they they will give you some chemo or things like that. But so how did you continue to operate your business while you're receiving chemo treatments? Well, it was really difficult, but I only had to have a half hour treatment a day when I was doing the pencil proton therapy, and when I would I would I had a place in San Diego, and I had a place in Northern California, and I just drove between them is about a hundred miles. And, uh, I would, I would be pretty tired by the end of all that. And I'd still go look at all the cars and put hands on and do those. But I always listened to these podcasts as I was doing it, which kept me a little, uh, more alive doing it. And, uh, I remember sometimes I would fall asleep at an auction uh, but I, I still was able but not to with your it, hand in the air. I had right? to push myself. <laughs> no, I'd go sit up on the stand where the auctioneers were just finished. I remember one day I fell asleep, but uh, uh, I still pushed forward and I still did everything I was supposed to do and I never missed a beat the whole time. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So it takes more in life than to have just a good attitude. It takes perseverance to be successful. And it sounds like you haven't let a number of things get you down. You've been able to move forward, and I'm grateful for your example. One thing I do every day, and even right now, I so I just finished the chemo you know, this, this last Saturday, is I've been walking six miles a day in the desert. And it's pretty hot right now, if you, if you consider that we're in August. And... Uh, 
So you've got to do that early in the morning, though, don't you? Yeah, but then I couldn't buy cars, you know. <laughs> oh. so, so you know, logically that would be good, but uh, it's good to build your reserves up too. And so I exercise every day, and and if I don't exercise, I really, I really feel guilty about it. So exercise is something for uh, an entrepreneur that wants to to go for the the long run is you better exercise and be in good shape. You know, I found that I, I had a car accident and it caused me to change my habits and I started exercising and I find that it's a regular part of my life. And I, I might even add that to the Biz Sherpa scorecard uh-huh. as far as something that we need to, to be doing regularly to see how you're doing on that. I'm glad to welcome Warren today to my Sherpa's Den here in my office and grateful to welcome you for the first time here. This is Craig Willett, the Biz Sherpa. Enjoy your climb to the top. Be sure to go to our website to access the resources related to this episode at www.bizsherpa.co. If you enjoyed this show, tell your friends about us and be sure to rate our podcast. Craig would like to hear from you, so share your thoughts in the Facebook community at bizsherpa.co. Follow us on Twitter at bizsherpa underscore co and on Instagram at bizsherpa.co.